My name is Pastor Jeremy, and it's my privilege to open the Word of God with you this morning. I almost forgot my anniversary. It was this past month, and I had a few things going on with, you know, trying to get a house ready and inspections and everything. And the, the condo sold yesterday, by the way. The condo sold sold yesterday. <laughs> it did not close, but it sold. So my mind has been in a few places. I didn't really forget, but it was like the Sunday before the Wednesday, and Heather was like, yeah, and I was like, oh, boy. I said, that, that could have that been missed. That could have been missed, but it, it wasn't. Um, we went out, and as we were reminiscing about the nine years that we've had together, uh, I thought back to... Um, when we were first married out on our honeymoon, I remember looking forward to my 10th anniversary as though it was forever away. And we were in Glacier National Park on our honeymoon, and I remember I, I could go back to the spot on the road where I'm like, we need to go back here on our 10th anniversary um, so we can see uh, stuff like, like this again. We've got a picture of, um, that's Glacier National Park. And... Um, they call that Avalanche Lake, and we hiked just a, a mile or so off the road to get to Avalanche Lake, and you know what, quite honestly, that rock on the right that's kind of out, in, I think I stood on that rock and fished. That's um, God's glory. It's God's glory, right? It says the heavens declare the glory of God. The mountains also declare the glory of God. If you've ever seen them, they declare the glory of God. Um, and then there's that lake, and that lake is showing such an amazing reflection of the glory of God. It's like God put that lake right there to reflect that glory to those that would see it. We're like that lake. We're supposed to reflect the glory of God. How in the world are we supposed to reflect the glory of God? Pastor Ryan defined God's glory as evidence that God has been somewhere or done something. And so when you look at your life, do you, do you look at it and I'm supposed to reflect that God has been somewhere and done something. How am I supposed to do that? And today we're going to look at how we're able to do that. Moses was up on the mountain with God when he came down. They could see, the Israelites, they could see the glory of God on Moses' face. He was reflecting back the glory of God. How can we reflect the glory of God? That's the question that we have this morning, and let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we worship you, Lord. It was such a sweet time to worship you, Lord, to remember who we are and to remember who you are. Lord, it's such a a refreshing time to get back to that and how massively, amazingly glorious you are and how you care so, so carefully uh, for us, Lord. We worship you this morning. We worship you in having uh, your word before us, Lord, that we would hear it. And Lord, we just ask that you would... Um, change our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. 
So quick review, we're in Exodus 32 through 34. Uh, what has happened since Exodus 32 through 34? Uh, Moses went up on a mountain, he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes down, and uh, the people are making this golden calf, and Aaron made it, and they're worshiping it, <clears throat> excuse me, and they're, um, God is very angry, and Moses is very angry, and these tablets, they get slammed down and broken, and that's representative of God's covenant that he's made with you, you have broken it, and then Moses is still upset, and God's upset, and God's like, I'm not even going to come with you guys, and Moses is like, oh, please, please come with us, and God relents and decides that he'll come with them and gives instructions on how to make the tabernacle, and then we have Moses meeting with God in uh, Exodus 33, and um, Moses goes back up again and talks to God, tries to make intercession for these people, and then Moses makes these new tablets in 34. The covenant is renewed, and God gives pretty much all the commandments over again in Exodus 34. And that brings us to Exodus 34, verse 29, where Moses is coming down the mountain for the second time. Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, and the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Moses is reflecting the glory of God, and we are going to look at ways from this story on how we can reflect the glory of God. And the first point is that you can jot down, reflect God's glory by talking to God. Reflect God's glory by talking to God. Why is Moses coming down with a bad sunburn? It's because he's been talking to God. It says it right there in verse 29. Why is Moses' face, why is he reflecting the glory of the Lord? It's because he has been talking to him. And we tend to reflect those that we talk to the most. I've got two young boys. They're fairly talkative and they're fairly loud. I don't know where they get it from. My daughter, Noelle, has been known to pick up other people's houses while humming. I don't know where she gets that from. No, we do. They're reflecting who they're hanging out with the most. And if we are going to reflect God, we have got to talk to God. And Moses shows us really uh, four things that we can do if we're going to talk with God. Uh, the first is we have two problems. The second is we have two practices. How can we reflect God's glory? By just talking to God. 
But there's two problems that are in the way. Problem number one, you can jot it down, worldly distraction. Worldly distraction. Moses was up on this mountain 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of the Lord talking to God. He was not checking his email. He was not scrolling Facebook. He was not perusing Pinterest. He was not updating Twitter. This man was undistracted in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights straight. And if you are going to reflect the glory of the Lord, you have to talk to the Lord. And I tell you what gets in the way of talking to the Lord is just a distraction. Just distraction. I know this just so, it's so practical. I wake up in the morning, I plug my phone in in the kitchen. I walk to the kitchen, I turn on my water to make coffee. It's the first thing I do. And then I have to walk past the counter where my phone is plugged in. And see, the new iPhones, even if you touch them and lift them up, the screen turns on. You don't even have to hit a button. And you can see, you know, does anybody want my attention this morning? And I've got to walk past that phone. I've got to walk like three steps, just one, two, three. And there's my Bible right there on the shelf in the kitchen. And I can, I can take that Bible and my pen, and then I've got to walk past the phone again go into the living room and sit down and open my Bible without my phone. Because the thing is, it's just plain and simple. If you want to hear from God, you can't hear from others. If you want to talk to God, you can't talk to others. Undistracted time. That's the problem number one. Moses is undistracted up on this mountain. And if you want to talk to God, you have to eliminate worldly distraction. Problem number two is fleshly desire. Fleshly desire. Moses did 40 days, 40 nights. He did it without food. He did it without water. He's really showing us, it's a foreshadowing of Christ, again, who would go out into the wilderness and go 40 days and 40 nights. and He's foreshadowing this, but 40 days and 40 nights. Why would he go without The food and the water. I mean, was the presence of the Lord sustaining him? Probably. But what he's doing, see, when when you fast, I I have to admit, I'm not that good at fasting. I'm I'm really not. I mean, the first time I fasted, I tried to do it without prayer. And I was like, you're just angry. (laughs) Just angry. What's this for? You're just angry and cold. You know, but fasting is such a a beautiful thing. If you want to see the, the power of God, the glory of God, you have to Deny yourself what you want so that you can have what God wants. Fasting is so great because um, if you're anything like me, you like to have confidence in yourself. You think you have it under control. You think your life is good. I'm, I, I've got a plan and I'm pretty strong and I can keep my, you know, I can regulate my emotions. I'm a, I'm a good person. Just fast. Just fast and you'll very quickly realize that you're not quite as strong or in control of yourself as you thought you were. But you'll also, right there in that moment, that is where you can talk with God. And it's so good. Problem number one, worldly distraction. Problem two, fleshly desire. If we're going to reflect God's glory, we must talk to God. How do we talk to God? 
Practice number one is God's word. God's word. How do we talk to God? God's word. Moses was um, hearing God's word, writing God's word, reading God's word. Moses was in the presence of God's word. And we have the word of God right here. And you can know every single time that you open up this book, every single time God is talking to you. The living God is talking to you every single time you open this book. The living God of the universe is speaking to you. I was talking with a group of high school boys on Wednesday about you know, how, how to make decisions and how to go about your life. And the tendency is, oh, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about this. And maybe, you know, Ryan said long ago, prayer gives you permission to do nothing. Because God speaks through his word. And if you want to talk to God, if you want to reflect God's glory, um, I, just, I really wish I could present you with a new recipe for talking to God, but the recipe is the same as it's always been. It is Bible reading and it is prayer. It is Bible reading and it is prayer. Practice number two is prayer. Open up this word, open up this book so you can hear God speak. He wants to speak to you. He will speak to you. And then you can speak back to him in prayer. Moses was talking to God, not just listening. Back and forth. God talked. Moses talked. And prayer is so incredibly key. Prayer is so incredibly key to seeing the glory of God. It's through prayer that we can see that God is listening, that God is loving, and that God is doing things that we could never do. Harvest Palis's favorite pastor, Pastor Eric from Joliet. <laughs> he put, um, he's a prayer warrior for one. If you've ever, I mean, guy's got the gift of prayer. He put something on his Facebook page this week that was just like, whoa, there it is. There it is. And he said, to be truly effective in prayer, we have to stop putting our trust in our prayers and start putting it in the God that we are praying to. And that is so true. In the season of transition for Heather and I and our family, I am praying more than I have ever prayed before. And I'm like, God, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? And I feel, I feel the tendency to go, my prayers are going to change things. My prayers are going to change things. No, they're not. My God is going to change things. My God is going to change things. Your trust has got to be in the Lord, not in what you do. See, because as soon as we drift towards my prayers did this, who are we glorifying? It's us. It's us. Not God's glory, our glory. To reflect God's glory, we must talk to God. Prayer is about God's glory and not ours. And one of the best prayers that you could ever pray is the exact same one that Moses prayed, where he just says, please show me your glory. Exodus 33, verse 18. He just says, please show me your glory. You can reflect God's glory by talking to God and asking to see his glory. You know, Moses did not want to see his glory. It's very, very clear as you read through this. Moses did not want to see his glory. God 
In Exodus 32, verse 10, God actually offers Moses a deal for Moses to see his glory. He's like, these people, they're a stiff-necked, rebellious people. Now leave me alone, that my anger may burn against them, that I may consume them, that I may make a great nation out of you. It's a pretty good deal, wouldn't you say? It's like, sweet, because they're driving me nuts too. Let's kill them. And then I can be awesome. Now, if Moses was after his own glory, he would have said, that's great, but he was not. 22 verses later, Moses says to God, if you will not forgive their sin, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses did not want to see his glory. Moses wanted to see God's. And you know what happens? You know what happens when you pray to see God's glory? I have prayed in the last three months, six months. I have prayed to see God's glory more in the last, I would guess, three months than I have in my previous 30 years. As I look at what's ahead of me and Heather and our family and the city of St. Cloud, for the first time in my life, I've been like, Lord, your glory. Nothing short of it. Nothing short of it. Your glory. Your glory. Be glorified in this. Be glorified in this. Be glorified in this. Be glorified in this. And I thought I was praying all these great prayers. But you know the number one thing that God taught me? Number one. God's glory and my glory cannot coexist. If you want to go and spend an extended time in the presence of the Lord, talking to him and asking him to see his glory, you are going to walk out of that encounter with God and you are not going to have a higher opinion of yourself. If you don't believe me, just ask Pastor Mark or ask Pastor Ryan what happens when you go eight weeks with the Lord. You don't come out thinking higher of yourself. You come out Lord's like listening. He's like, oh, my glory. Okay. Well, if you want to see my glory, then you're not going to be seeing yours. There's these coexist bumper stickers, right? I got a picture of one of them. I have an emotional reaction every time I see these bumper stickers. I really do. I look at it and I'm just like, those things can't coexist. Because they're fundamentally opposed to one another. They're fundamentally opposed. They're incompatible. And what God has taught me is that, you know what else is incompatible? You seeing my glory while you still want to see your own. Those things can't coexist. The greatest threat... The greatest threat to you seeing the glory of God is the desire to see your own. Maybe you're just like, I don't see God's glory. I don't see it in my my home. I don't see it in my marriage. I don't see it at my work. I don't see it in my personal life. I don't see it in anything around me. I just don't see God's glory anywhere. As a matter of fact, all I see is pain, hardship, and and just nasty stuff. I don't see God's glory. I I, I don't see evidence that he's been here and he's done something. The highest suggestion I can give you is search your heart to see where you might be after your glory 
instead of God's because your glory and God's glory cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. When Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in Isaiah 6, he fell down on his face and he said, Woe is me. When Peter figured out who Jesus was in the boat, he fell on his face and he said, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. When you have an encounter with God, a true encounter with God, you can expect to come out not with a higher opinion of your glory, but a much, much lower one. We really don't know what Moses saw when he asked to see God's glory. He's like, Lord, please show me your glory. And God's like, I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to stick you in the rock. I'll pass by you, but you're really not going to see me. We have, we have no idea. We have really absolutely no idea what Moses saw. Even if you want to say he saw God's back or he saw God's afterburn or he saw God's swoosh, we still have no idea what that looks like. No idea. Moses is like, show me your glory. And God's like, I'll cause my goodness to pass before you. I'll cause my goodness to pass before you. We do not know what Moses saw, but you know what we do know? We know what he heard. We know what he heard. And there's a lesson in that, that God is more about you hearing him than you seeing him. And if he's going to reveal himself to you, he's going to reveal himself through his word. Because God wants to be heard. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, look at 34, verse 6. Moses said, show me your glory. We'll start in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers, on the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We can reflect God's glory by talking to him, by asking to see his glory, and by reflecting his goodness. By reflecting his goodness. If you want to reflect the glory of God, you must reflect his goodness. Moses is like, show me your glory. And God's like, I'll show you that I am good. I'll show you that I am good. And he goes through six Words. Six words. The first one is, is mercy. It means showing sympathy or compassion. It means that God does not reward us as we deserve. If he would, if God were to reward us for what we deserve, right now every single one of us would be in eternal hell at this exact moment. That's what happens if God gives us what we deserve. But God is not a God like that. He is merciful. He is merciful. And the glory of the Lord that we are to reflect is that he is merciful. So when you're like, my five-year-old deserves to be yelled at, reflect his glory. 
When you want to say, my employee deserves to be fired, reflect his glory by reflecting his goodness. And he's merciful. He's also gracious. When we reflect his goodness, we reflect his graciousness. Grace means giving favors and blessings that are not deserved. And if you're going to reflect the glory of the Lord, you have to start treating people better than they deserve. My husband doesn't deserve respect. Reflect his glory. My mom doesn't deserve for me to visit her. Reflect his glory. See, we don't... What we do as as Christians, when we reflect the glory of God and we reflect the goodness of God, we're not called to show people what God looks like. We're called to show people what God's like. Not what he looks like, what he's like. What's his character? What's his goodness? That's what we're trying to reflect He's also patient. It says God is slow to anger. Part of God's glory is that he is slow to anger. And God has got more reason to be angry than any being on the face of the earth. He's got so much, so much ammunition to be angry. But instead he is slow to anger. That dude just cut me off. Reflect his glory. He did it to me again. Reflect his glory. He's patient. He's slow to anger. Reflect his goodness by reflecting his steadfast love. This is a beautiful word. This steadfast love. It means a loyal love. It means an unfailing, faithful love that results solely from God's goodness and his kindness. What actually might get this definition right is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Who's got a Jesus Storybook Bible in their house? We give them away if your kids are dedicated. Read through the Jesus Storybook Bible. It it describes it as this. A never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is the love of the Lord. That is the glory of the Lord. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. My spouse deserves a divorce. Reflect his glory. He cheated me. He cheated on me. Reflect his glory. My parents deserve for me to never talk to them again. Reflect his glory, his steadfast love. He's also faithful. We can reflect his goodness by reflecting his faithfulness. God says he'll be a firm and stable presence to his people. He's never going to move. He's always going to be there. He's never going to change. He's going to be faithful to a people that have demonstrated that they are not faithful. So when Someone cheats you or cheats on you. Have you promised that you'll be faithful? Will you be faithful? Will you reflect his glory? And then there's his forgiveness. It's such a beautiful word again. When you look up what this word word means, it means forgiveness means to carry. 
to lift up or to remove something. And that is exactly, exactly what God does by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who carries your sin, who lifts up your sin and removes your sin. And that's why it's so crazy that when Christ is about to go to the cross, he says, this is the moment of my, does anyone know? Glory. It's the moment of my glory. In other words, Christ, when he's going to go to the cross, he's like, the glory of God is about to be displayed. And of course it is. Of course it is, because when Jesus gets up on that cross to forgive our sins, he is actually showing us a better picture of what Moses just got to hear. Moses just heard this is what God was like. But for those of us that have a New Testament and know Jesus Christ, we we know beyond the shadow of a doubt. We can look at the cross and we can see mercy and grace and patience and steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiveness as Christ glorifies his Father. And at this point, you may be thinking, as you look at that list, as you, maybe you even only look at the first thing of talking to God, and you're just like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And then after we get through the, the list of six things, I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of you that's like, okay, um, I'm just going to throw these notes away when I get home, because it is absolutely impossible for me to do this. To which I would tell you, you might be living under the wrong covenant. God makes a covenant of his people, and at this time, it's a covenant of law. It's a covenant of law. Moses goes up on the mountain, and this is what he had to go on for the glory of the Lord. This is it. This is all he had. He heard his voice, and he saw his commands. This is what he got to write. This is what he got to carry. This is what he saw of the Lord. And I I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I just don't see glory. I don't see glory. The only thing I see is that I'm a dead man. The only thing I see when I look at that is that I will never measure up. The only thing that I see when I look at this is that there is absolutely no way that I will ever be okay with God, which is why the Apostle Paul, when he talks about Moses' glowing face in 2 Corinthians 3, he said that this is the ministry of death or the ministry of condemnation. This is what The Apostle Paul says when he looks at this, what is the glory that Moses is reflecting? He's reflecting some tablets. His face is glowing like because he saw some tablets and heard the Lord. That's all he knew. He gets a shiny face. That's what he gets. That's it. Sunburn. We don't even know. I looked it up this week. It's like, what did Moses' face look like? Some people are like, there was like lightning bolts coming out of it. And others are like, there's like rays. It's like a laser show going out from, from, from it. Other like, um, 
Some Renaissance artists, actually, when they painted Moses or they sculpted Moses, they put horns on Moses' head because they're like, that's what it meant to radiate out. And when he comes down the mountain, he's like, hey, guys, I'm back. And everybody's like, ah! And they run the other way. The glory of the Lord on Moses' face caused fear. He had to call people back to him because his face looked so, like, I mean, who wants Moses' glowing face? I don't. I don't, have to, I don't want to wear a veil in front of my head for the rest of my life because I'm, I'm scaring people. Moses got to look ridiculous. God had set a bush on fire, then he set a mountain on fire, then he set a man's face on fire. Do you understand how that reveals like next to nothing about God? A shiny face? The glory of God shining from just from tablets. From tablets. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul talks about this. Second Corinthians chapter 3. says, ministers of a new covenant. Verse 1, it says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Remember Jesus, Last Supper, gets his disciples down, and he, the bread and the wine lifts and says, this is the, my blood, cup of the new covenant. He's replacing the tablets. Ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what's once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For, what, for if what was brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since... We have such a hope. We are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. What's the point? 
people of God and children of God. This is the point. The glory that we have seen of God is more than the glory that Moses saw. And the glory that Moses got to reflect is so, so, so much less than the glory that we get to reflect. What's better? What's better than being with God 40 days and 40 nights on a mountain? Having a copy of the New Testament and having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what's better. That's what's better. Paul's like, this is... I actually made a chart of the differences between these two covenants. The old covenant, written with ink. New covenant, written by the Holy Spirit. Old covenant, written on stone tablets. The covenant that we're under is written on human hearts. Paul calls this the letter that kills. What he means by that is if you look at this, as I said earlier, when you look at this, if this is your plan to be made right with Jesus Christ, and if this is your plan to live a good life, you are going to die. Because you will never measure up to it. You will never be able to keep it. And that is why Paul calls it the letter that kills. But the Spirit, the Spirit gives life. This covenant is brought to an end. The next covenant of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is permanent. It never gets brought to an end. Paul calls that the ministry of death and condemnation. Death and condemnation. That's and it was enough to still make Moses' face light up. And that's why he says it's not worth comparing to the ministry of righteousness that's for us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, where he keeps all of it for us. Paul says there's no glory in the old covenant, but there's surpassing glory in the new covenant. The veil remains under the old one. Paul's like, if you think that these tablets is what's going to make you right with God. He's like, there's a veil that lies over your heart where you can't see what this is pointing to. And what it's pointing to is the cross. This is the covenant we need to live by. This one. Where Jesus fulfills all of this for us. This one. All of this stuff in Exodus 32 through 34, it's just pointing forward to the coming glory of Jesus. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. He's talking about the Jews that hear the law and they, they don't get it, they can't see it. Veils are meant to separate, the veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, when one turns away from the old covenant and trying to keep the law and turns towards the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified, the veil is removed. Veils are meant to separate things from one another. And one, when you turn to Christ, that veil that separates you from God, it is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. Moses got a shining face. We get transformed hearts. We get transformed hearts. The Holy Spirit that comes and transforms us. John, writing in his gospel in John 1, talks about this where he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. Moses, he didn't get a great glimpse of God, but he did hear from God. And he did get to hear what God's glory was about. And after he had heard the glory of God, his reaction was worship. Before he came down the mountain, before he went to the people, it says that he fell on his face and he worshiped. So, Alan, would you lead us right now 